Peter's work explores power and power in history. And Dan has been very close to the people and institutions which hold power and exercise power. It's really interesting to me that the two of them are close friends. I first knew this because of a footnote in Peter's book, Deep Politics and the Death of JFK, where he mentions that they have been good friends for a long time. So I wanted to know how the two of you became friends and under what circumstances and how did your political ideas help to shape this friendship? Well, I forget who contacted me, but I was asked to be a special witness about Laos in the trial of Dan in 73, and a meeting was convened down in the L.A. area, and Noam Chomsky was there, I was there, the lawyers were there. It was quite a scintillating evening. Was I there? You were there, okay. yes, you, you too. You were the one who made the remark about having all the talent in the room, but I had the same impression. Having you mean, all the people I was most respected, was that it? Or, you know? Yes, well, we were, anyway, I never got to testify for a very good reason that the, the case was thrown out. That was when I met Dan. It was not really when we became friends. I was in awe of him. But about two years later, a mutual friend said that he was in San Francisco, and that was, what, probably 75, so that's quite a while. Thank you. Dan, you're most famous for leaking the Pentagon Papers. I think lately, because of your book, people realize how significant you were in U.S. nuclear planning. But for uh, most of the last several decades, you're more famous for the Pentagon Papers. And Peter did some of the most important work analyzing the Pentagon Papers, especially regarding JFK's Vietnam policies. Specifically, Peter was the first to assert that there was a switch between the policies of JFK and LBJ, and he hypothesized that there had been some sort of national security action memorandum that called for a withdrawal or a de-escalation in Vietnam, and he did this based on very scant evidence. To me, it's pretty astounding, considering that his hunch proved to be correct. It was more than a hunch. I'd already developed from my work on the Kennedy assassination the notion of the negative template as a way to proceed. And the various studies were by different authors, remember. There was one about escalation. There was another one about plans to withdraw. And both of them made very, very brief and not very helpful references to NASA National Security Action Memorandum 273, the very date of which was interesting because it was dated November 26, 1963, which was, of course, four days after Kennedy's assassination. And in effect, one of them was saying that the seeds of escalation were in this NASM, and the other one was saying it was a NASM that reaffirmed withdrawal. So I gleaned. I found a number of references here and there and reassembled actually about 90% of the NASM from fragments that were widely dispersed in all the things. It was finally declassified Interestingly, by a staff lawyer for the House Assassinations Committee, but it wasn't one of the Kennedy lawyers. It was one of the Martin Luther King lawyers, a black man who got it declassified. And I essentially had it all in except the reference to Cambodia, which didn't come up. 
but was in fact also a very interesting, I think, change in policy. One of the things about the Pentagon Papers that stands out now is that they didn't have a lot of details about the last months of Kennedy's life. Dan, do you have any insight into why the Pentagon Papers don't reveal as much about the last few months of the Kennedy presidency? I'm not aware of that. Is that the case? I haven't looked it over. Well, it, it, it's certainly the case, I think, for the last month, because they don't really get into all the discussions about getting troops out and so on. If you look at the documents that are released, I think the last one is in October. It's probably the Taylor-McNamara report in October. I think that's the last document they release. Peter, you didn't describe on the tape here what you saw as the difference in policy between the Kennedy and later the Johnson policy. I agree with you in the difference. This is sort of boilerplate for me, but NASM 263 affirmed the decision to get the bulk of the troops out of Vietnam by 1965 with an initial withdrawal of a 1,000 that would take place by the end of 1963. And NASM 273, there are two pages of the document, and I think the first page was given to the press, and it says very boldly that uh, the objectives of withdrawal have not changed. Well, that's fine. I mean, obviously, they were going to withdraw someday, so she will reaffirm the objectives was not really very meaningful. The second page was plans to escalate the war against North Vietnam, the plans which led in due time to the Tonkin Gulf incidents and the Vietnam War as we knew it. And this, to me, was very clear. There's also some technical stuff about the levels of economic and military assistance, which had been cut in order to give a warning sign to No Dinh Diem, who was the prime minister of Vietnam at that time. But I think the bold part of it is that there was a concrete plan to start the withdrawal by the end of 1963 in NASM 263, and then that was the last Kennedy NASM on Vietnam and the first Johnson NASM on Vietnam, number 273 of November 26. It reaffirmed the objectives, but it wiped out the actual plans. So... By the way, the plans had been announced on November 20th. They announced there would be a 1,000 troop withdrawal, but it didn't take place. Some troops were pulled out, but some other troops were sent in. So there was certainly nothing like a 1,000. The decision had been made. I'd like to say a bit more about that. My first sort of education about that was that here was a document. It was extremely important that Dan had released these papers And they were very powerful in educating the American public to the early stuff about how Ho Chi Minh was working with the OSS and so on. But in my second level of education, the papers were, in effect, concealing this thing about withdrawal. And particularly the chapter on withdrawal was very, very inadequate. So... I didn't want to put too much weight on this, but I would have thought if it was only for the optics, they didn't want the American people or even themselves to think 
that the assassination had made a difference. It might even have been, you know, the, a lot of it came down to the man who put the whole thing together and wrote a preface to it, and uh, probably a good man in some ways, but definitely didn't want to have this embarrassing fact that a president was murdered and four days later the Vietnam policy changed. The second thing that was even more important to my education was I wrote the article that's in the fifth volume of the Pentagon Papers saying what I've just said here on tape. They was being edited by Noam Chomsky and by Howard Zinn. And Noam was in Europe, so I sent it to Howard. And Howard phoned me and he said, you don't want to publish this article. I said, what? He said, you're suggesting that it made a difference if you had Kennedy as president or Johnson as president. And I said, yes, it's exactly what I'm suggesting. He said, that's bad politics. I have enormous respect for Howard Zinn. I, yeah. I think his history, again, was one of the great educational tools in this country. But I realized at that moment that I could no longer consider myself a Marxist because I could see his thinking, you know, that what really matters is the system. The system is corrupt. We've got to get rid of the system. And I just could not think that way anymore. And I don't think I could have articulated then what is clear to me now, that I had moved to a stage where instead of just saying, is the left right or is the right right, that I reached a stage where you have to look at the cause you believe in and you also have to look at its warts and what is true in the opposition because my view of history is very dialectical. In that sense, I'm Hegelian Marxist, but every good cause that emerges, like the American Constitution, for example, it was a great event in American history, and it put slavery in at the heart of it. That's the way history proceeds, and you have to be able to make choices being conscious of the other side, and I've tried to live that way. Essentially, I've been thinking about this broadcast a bit, but I realized that was a very important moment for me. And I went on to continue to be a supporter of Noam and Howard, but with this difference. That was just an excerpt from the American Exception podcast. To hear the whole episode, as well as archived and new episodes, please subscribe to the American Exception podcast at Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American Exception. Subscribe and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. empire.